The views and opinions expressed in the following paid program are those of the host, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this station, its management, or owners. I'm an American soldier, an American. Beside my brothers and my sisters, I will proudly take a stand. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front lines, sleep in peace tonight, American soldier. Time to have a conversation about the things that matter to you, including the direction of our country. This is Conversations with Rodney Ferguson, brought to you by Crushed Red on the Big 550 KTRS. Welcome to Conversations with Rod Ferguson. This is KTRS and the Big 550. So everybody knows by now that Trump had a landslide victory in Iowa. The Don got 51%. The Ron got 21%. And Miss Haley got 19%. But if you look a little deeper, you'll find out that the Don carried 99% of all of the uh, places that he pulled in. He only missed one, and that was by one vote. So it was clearly a landslide victory in Iowa for the Don. Um, recently, New Hampshire is launching, and by now, everybody knows that the Ron bailed out. So it's a two-person race, Haley and the Don. And obviously, Haley has to do very, very well in New Hampshire in order to stay in the race. So today and tomorrow, we'll figure that out, and we'll know if she and all her efforts in New Hampshire paid off. The Don is feeling very, very confident in New Hampshire. So the Biden is attacking the MAGA, right? He doesn't know what else to do. He comes up with, well, I beat him once, I can beat him again. Well, with a 33% approval rating, the lowest of any U.S. president to date, even his own party stated that 56% of Democrats polled said he's too old to run. 86% of those polled from both parties, including independents, said he's too old to run. So... With those kind of numbers, I don't know how he can feel as confident as he does. However, we'll see. So the Senate bill for the border, they say, is dead on arrival. And it's been put on the back burner, which is very unfortunate, considering right now the Senate has stated on the UP wire that they have the vote to impeach Mayork. We don't know when that vote will happen, but they say they have the votes to do it. And that's the next step in that saga. So have you been watching this climate change around the country? Uh, the warming, the snow, the rain, climate control, the number one on the Biden ticket of what he wanted to accomplish. And we have record warm temperatures, mild winters other than the last two weeks across the country. Unbelievable. And he's going to run and die with climate change. So we swing over to Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Arnold sat on TV lately with his references to his 
workout. Now, I personally think we have better things to talk about than interviewing Arnold Schwarzenegger on what he feels about gym etiquette. But here's what he came up with. He said, for crying out loud, number one, put your weights away. Wow. That's amazing. And two, don't bogart the equipment. People come into the gym and take over the equipment. They're not sharing with others. So make sure you put your weights away and make sure you don't take over the equipment. And you and Mr. Schwarzenegger are going to get along fine. So I guess we wrote bilateral. Everybody came together on this one to avoid the government shutdown. I mean, why don't we do something creative like get rid of a lot of the government programs and the pork that has already been passed and that has been proved inefficient and use that money instead of raising the debt ceiling for the 462nd time. Why don't we freeze increases so that they can't spend any more money, they gotta spend what they got. We all know we're funding this thing we give him 33% on how he's doing the good job. And instead of reductions and freeze techniques, we're going to raise it again. Chucky Schumer wants to enhance the child's tax credit. That was his solution to the problem. Well, we'll just enhance the child tax credit, and that'll fix all this. I mean, that guy is on another planet. They came up with some of the pitfalls that Mr. Biden is facing. The number one pitfall with the 33% approval rating that he has is lack of engagement. And I'm not talking about lack of engagement on side deals with China or lack of engagement with working with his son to cut special deals for his family. I'm talking about lack of engagement on government matters, not lack of engagement on vacations, not lack of engagement in the basement but lack of engagement for what the people want and what he ran on. He continues to introduce himself three years into his presidency as the president, because quite frankly, nobody can believe it. They can't, absolutely can't believe it overseas, but he continues to introduce himself as the president just to make sure everybody was reminded that he still is. Because if you add number one, which is lack of engagement, you would never know. The Democratic Party, backed up by the vice president, and don't get me started on that, has stated to the UP wire and the public, he will be the nominee not leaving room for anyone else to run, including Mr. Kennedy, who's getting a lot of steam, including the rumor that Michelle might jump in and get added to the ticket. But the vice president 
And the powers that be, Chucky, Nancy, have said he will be the nominee. And how about this son? You get subpoenaed by a special committee in Washington, and you just ignore it. Failure to appear. If any of us didn't appear before a Senate panel for the express purposes of just sharing all the facts that they've come up with over the last two years on this young man, and he just snubs everybody and fails to appear. If any of us did that, we'd be in jail. And if you've noticed, all the impeachment discussions have left the president, even though they had two formal hearings on it, and have moved silently over to Mallorca, deflecting the impeachment proceedings to an underling. Well, that was my political commentary. This is Rod Ferguson on Conversations, KTRS and the Big 550. So we're going to swing it on around to athletics, specifically the California ban, the ban on tackled football if you're under the age of 12. The beautiful state of California, some call it the land of, well, I won't say it has decided to put age limits on sports in their state and have banned tackle football to age of 12 and under. Back in the day, when I was playing football, they had restricted leagues. Down at Afton Athletic Center, where some of you cut your teeth on the gridiron, they had pound restrictions and age restrictions. So they had seven and eight lights, age seven and eight lights, and seven and eight heavy, depending on the weight of the child. What in the world do we need a legislative action led by the great state of California on youth sports under the age of 12? I don't know where they come up with this stuff. It's like they got nothing else to talk about. I mean, we don't have to worry about Korea. We don't have to worry about the war. We don't have to worry about the economy. God knows we don't have to worry about EV. So we're going to pass a legislative action banning tackle football under age 12. And they've got some high-powered liberal celebrities to back them up. And you've seen them on the TV saying, oh, yeah, it was great for me, but, yeah, it's really bad for your child. So i got a question for you out there. And feel free to respond with our text line. What about lacrosse? No age limit there. What about soccer? What about ice hockey? Are these sports any less physical than tackled football at the age of 12 and under? And my favorite, rugby. And what's the benefit to the underage child? What message does that send to them? 
now that they're already two years behind because of the COVID lockdown on their education, and now they've got to be limited on their extracurricular activities with sports. It's ridiculous. It's insulting to the general public. California ban on tackle football and a legislative action to do such. All right, let's swing over to the financial side for a minute. The market's just hit a fresh set of highs in the case some people weren't paying attention. In 2021, there were 397 IPOs. In 2023, there was over 200, I'm sorry, over 12,506 deals done. And in 2024, sitting here mid-month, we've already got 246 deals done in the M&A space. You wouldn't know it to listen to the media, but 2026, I mean, 2024 is going to be extremely optimistic. Fresh set of highs in January, 246 deals already done in the month. The two-year just went over 4%, again, 4.275. And the 10-year is doing well. No sign of inflation, excuse me, no sign of recession, a definite sign on inflation. And the rate cuts have held. 67% of the rate cuts have held. So 2024, if you turn your TV off and actually look at the numbers for companies, the earnings reports, half of the S&P 500 is going to put up earnings numbers over the next couple days. Everything looks optimistic in spite of the current administration. And I say that because I said it before, the market is efficient. You might be able to monkey with the market a little bit with Fed adjustments, dovish this and hawkish that. But at the end of the day, the market is efficient, and it runs on earnings, and it runs on capital, and it runs on money. And the companies that do a great job get rated as such. That's why we have rating agencies. And the ones that don't, don't. I've got a charitable organization for you. I gave you a couple last time, but I got another one that you can add to, and you've seen the ads on the ASPCA and these pets that are being left out in the cold, pets that have been the byproduct of bad weather, poor parenting, undernutrition, underfunded, and you've seen all the horrific conditions that some of these animals have to deal with. So if you have nothing to do with your charitable dollars, consider joining the ASPCA.org. This one was a new one on me. How about the alcohol delivery application called Drizzle? I personally was unaware of this. I go into the store and purchase my alcohol like I've done my whole life, but they've got an app for everything. And this app is called Drizzle. Don't ask me where the name came from. Thought it was pretty creative, but Drizzle has filed for protection and recovery based on the legislative requirements and taxation, some would say excessive taxation, on alcohol. And they couldn't figure out how to do it with alcohol, so they pumped it up with cigarettes and vaping and all that fun stuff. So they've got that tax down to a science, but they're still trying to figure out how to legislate drizzle and this alcohol delivery application that is coming and that's been out there and that is being duplicated and copied. This is Conversations with Rod Ferguson, the Big 550. 
KTRS. The views and opinions expressed in the following paid program are those of the host, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this station, its management, or owners. Brought to you courtesy of the red, white, and blue. Now, back to Conversations with Rodney Ferguson. Brought to you by Crushed Red on the Big 550 KTRS. This is Conversations with Rod Ferguson and KTRS and the Big 550. And today we have with us David Herlica. David Herlica is owner-operator of Dominica's Brewery and Eatery in New Hampshire. And they're dealing with some weather up there right now, so I appreciate David joining us. And uh, I'm just going to introduce him. I've known David for 25 years. He's a very good friend of mine. Um, And he is the president and owner-operator for Dominica's, which is a brewery and eatery in Oshawa, New Hampshire. David, thanks for joining us. Hey, Rod. How's it going today? It's good. It's good. Hey, can you just start by giving us a little bit of background on how Dominica's came to be? Yeah, so I I cut my teeth in the in the brewing business with uh, my older brother. He had opened a brewery up in New Hampshire back in um, early 2000s, and uh, so I learned I learned beer, which I knew nothing about, with my brother. And we grew the business, and um, we had this a different vision, my brother and I, and we we felt that the market was looking for a high-end craft brewery on a smaller, intimate scale with amazing food. And so we got to work and came up with, tossed around some different concepts and some different ideas. And uh, Dominica's Brewing Company and Eatery um, was coming to life. And the vision that we have is high-end craft beer, uh, IPAs, New England IPAs, sours, lagers, um, big, heavy, uh, dark beers um, in a setting that's super chill and cool with, um, you know, cool lighting and, and great atmosphere. And we're pairing that with a high-end American food. We're bringing in, um, you know, some, uh, some some cool salads and pizzas and um, some um, burgers and steaks and, and whatnot. And, we're trying to pair the best of both worlds where we bring a high-end eatery together with a high-end brewery. Hence, uh, Dominica's Brewing Company is, is coming to life. Well, that sounds like a, a great concept, and I know it sounds like it'll do really well in that market. As, as I understand, this is kind of a family affair. If I understand it, your, your son is the brewmaster. Could you tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, so my son Dylan, uh, when he was in high school, um, he wanted to work in the summer, so I brought him into the, the beer world, and he started sweeping and mopping floors and, you know, cleaning bottles and uh, learning from the ground up, and he was with me part-time for a couple summers for a couple years, and then uh, on his senior year in high school, he's like, Dad, I don't really want to go to college, and I, I'd, I'd really like to, when I get out, come full-time and learn more about the beer business, so when he graduated high school a bunch of years ago, we, um, oh, geez, it's almost five years now, we um, we had him apprentice under my former master brewer who taught him everything from how to mill the grain, what hops to choose, what to look for, what yeast, what this, what that. 
And my son ended up taking over the helm as my head brewer, and he was actually in charge of the entire brewing operation uh, for a couple years. And he managed five or six uh, other employees as well as turning out some of the, the some of the best beers that we'd ever made and his passion has grown to a point where you know he'll come to me and say hey dad i want to try this what do you think and it's sometimes it's some off the wall stuff but i give him the um the latitude to, to run with his creative ideas and he he will make some beer and he turns some product that people go wow who thought of this and back at the time i'm like it's my 20 year old son <laughs> that's so, awesome that's it's awesome. I, I understand that you're also uh, uh, branching out into some uh, Napa Valley wines and some uh, some ciders, some hard ciders. Can you give me a few minutes on that? Absolutely. So he, my son, started messing around with hard cider, and I came in one day and he called it. Uh, you're going to laugh on this one, but he called it prison juice. And I said, <laughs> "What on earth is prison juice?" And he goes, "Oh, I made a hard cider. The ABV is twelve and a half percent." <laughs> which is unheard of. And so I was like, all right, let's try it. Uh, it was high octane. It was really, really good. So he started with that, and then he branched out into – he went out into the market and sampled some of the top hard ciders out there and said, I can do this, and I can make this better. And so we got into that. And then, once again, as Dominica's was coming together, he said, hey, you know, Dad, I'd like to try some wine. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So he wants to also do some some nice cabs and some uh, Merlots to start and bring in some Pinots and then uh, ultimately branch into a couple different white white wine varieties as well. Um, and I can't wait. I mean, I'm excited to see how the wines are going to taste because everything else he's touched has been absolutely fantastic. No, that's great. That could also bring in a different clientele than just, you know, that group coming in and wanting to, you know, drink beer, um, might yep. bring in, might bring in some of the ladies also. Oh yeah. Well, the idea here is, so in the craft beer world, if you hang up a sign that says brewery, the craft beer market will come and check you out. If your product is good, you've got customers basically for life. The problem with the, the craft beer scene is the majority of the breweries that I've been to, and I've traveled all around the country, and I've everywhere I go, I always, you know, do some mar- quote-unquote market research and go out and check out, you know, different breweries to see what they're doing and what their styles are and all this other stuff. The one thing that's lacking in the brewery market is quality food. You get your greasy, you know, French fries and mozzarella sticks and, and um, you know, chicken fingers and things like that, but... There isn't quality food. So in order to, in the vision for Dominica's, we want to be more than just a brewery. So we're incorporating the high-end food around it, and we want to bring in craft wine, because nobody's doing that, craft cider, which several places are doing it, and then, of course, the beer, so that we can attract different clientele aside from the craft beer marketplace. So we're excited about it. We think the, the lineup and the beer portfolio is phenomenal. It's very deep. We have about 150, 170 different varieties of beer that we already have recipes for. Um, we have probably about 10 to 15 different hard cider options that we're going to be producing. And so it seemed to be a logical next step for us 
to penetrate the market a little bit deeper by introducing the different wine options as well. So it's going to be pretty exciting. I can't wait. No, very cool. So at this point, do I understand that uh, uh, New Hampshire is, is, you know, your home base? What, what, are, what are plans uh, to expand, if any, up and down the eastern seaboard or in any other markets you're looking at? So the initial plan is to get established with Dominica's in southern New Hampshire. We, we've kicked around the idea of opening a second location in New Hampshire maybe within the next 18 to 24 months, maybe on the seacoast to hit different markets in, in the state. Um, but we've, we've been talking with several people up and down the East Coast that are interested in possibly um, replicating the Dominica's model in their market. So there's been some pretty strong interest um, all the way down all the way down the East Coast into Florida, as well as um, I got a phone call from a longtime friend who's interested in, in Mississippi doing something under the Dominica's brand, and we're, we're excited. We'll see where it goes. You know. Oh, that that's cool. I mean, that's really neat. 2024 again is full of optimism. Uh, all you gotta do is turn the TV off and yes. and, and and listen to what. You know, it's going on out there, everything. Uh, on the show yesterday, we talked about, you know, the different IPOs that are launching. I mean, they've already done 146 deals in January. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's time to, you know, put COVID behind us, put this administration behind us and move forward. And we're all getting pretty excited about that. So, you know, um, I, I, I really think turn the TV off, put down politics put down all the scare and fear tactics of the world, raise a glass, whether it be a, a, a nice beer, a craft beer, a cider, um, a glass of wine, share it, enjoy it with friends, laugh, smile, enjoy a good meal, and look forward to tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know it's, it's a busy time for you, ramping up everything and getting ready to launch, and uh, we wish you uh, much success in that, and we'll be tracking it. Um, obviously, you're you're also a sponsor with us, so we'll be hearing a lot more about Dominica's, and uh, we'll get into a little deeper dive uh, in future times. But thank you for your time, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Appreciate your time today, Rod. As always, it's great to talk to you, and we have a we have a bar stool with your name on it. So whenever right. you're in the area, your door is always open for you, my friend. All right. Well, that was David Herlica. He's with Dominica's Brewery in Erie, and he's up in Oshawa, New Hampshire, launching a concept up there that we'll be hearing a lot more about it. So I'm going to take a break, and I'll come back here briefly. If you have any comments, feel free to give them on the chat line. This is KTRS and the Big 550. The views and opinions expressed in the following paid program are those of the host, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this station, its management, or owners. I'm brought to you courtesy of red, white, and blue. Now, back to Conversations with Rodney Ferguson. Brought to you by Crushed Red on the Big 550 KTRS. All right, so as everybody knows... The New Hampshire primary 
And I don't think it was any surprise to know what the key issues were with the New Hampshire primary. Uh, Some of the previews before the uh, polls closed was uh, Republican Representative Rand Paul out of the great state of Kentucky. And he came up with a concept that was that Trump's made famous in giving people nicknames. And one of the nicknames he gave for the number two contender, Nikki Haley, was Never Nikki. And Never Nikki kind of stuck. <laughs> and it's already been going around the country, and people are already talking about Never Nikki. And then they brought on some of the Democratic voices and asked them about what they thought about the primary and how it was going. And the <laughs> 56 of the Democrats that were polled said, Biden is going to get creamed in the election if he's the nominee. And they've already told us, Kamala down, that Biden is going to be the Democratic nominee. To to the point that they don't even know if anybody's going to run up against him So from the Democratic Party. So their comment, not mine, their comment that I'm repeating was that Biden is going to get creamed. So the Democrats are starting to distance themselves from the current president. And no surprise here to anybody that's been tracking what's going on, the border in New Hampshire, the border, not climate change, the border is the number one issue. And the great Senator John Tester from Montana was stating also that the current administration has a major, major problem. So with that as a backdrop, we know the result. We know that the president, ex-president, whatever we want to call him right now, uh, received uh, 54% of the New Hampshire vote, and Never Nikki received 43% of the New Hampshire vote. And the number one undisputed thing on people's minds in New Hampshire, again, is not climate change. It is the border and the fiasco that's going on at the border. So backing up the Iowa caucus and its number one from its national attention was not the economy. It was the border. And these are not Arizona. This is not Texas. This is New Hampshire. <laughs> so And Midwest with Iowa. The border was the number one thing people had on their minds. So we read into the issue of who these people are that are coming across the border. And it doesn't surprise a lot of people if you've been watching the video footage of the people coming across. The gang presence in that group of people is unbelievable. There was a stabbing yesterday in Texas where they let about 300 of these illegal immigrants come across, and two of law enforcement were killed. These Illegal aliens that are coming across the border are not being vetted. It is a disaster. They are part of drug gangs and cartels. They even overtook Biden's hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. And the governor was quick to get on the uh, media and explain what's actually going on in his district and his town with all these illegal immigrants coming in, everything from housing to violence in the president's hometown of Scranton, Pennsylvania. So unbelievable about what's going on in New Hampshire. The other things that were important to New Hampshire as we exit polled them was inflation, taxes, 
and protection. And these were 1.4 million people that told us what was important to them. And that was securing the border, protecting its citizens, inflation, and taxes. And as we follow what's going on out there, knowing that Don got 54.5% of the vote and Never Nikki got 43.2%, shows the proof in the pudding as far as people pulling the ballot and where they stand as we leave New Hampshire and move on and continue with the primaries. So there was a little blurb yesterday about the president's son, Hunter, and that he has finally decided that he's going to testify. Now, I don't know how this works because I'm not in a blue blood family. But when you are subpoenaed by a senatorial subcommittee, anyone else on the planet would not have the option to not appear. They would just issue a warrant, arrest the man, and bring him before the committee. But that's not how it works in the Biden world. In the Biden world, Mr. Hunter gets to decide whether he is even going to participate. So he's decided over the last 48 hours that he's going to agree to testify. Now, I don't know what they'll let him say. I don't know if they'll script him. I don't know if he'll do like his dad and go off script, but he has he <laughs> has agreed to testify. Uh, we don't know when. We don't know how long. We don't know anything other than that he's agreed to testify. So we'll all wait with bated breath to see what Mr. Hunter Biden has to say. Have you been watching the market lately? So gold is at 2053. Silver is right where it's been for the last five years at 23. And crypto took a nosedive from, what, 46 down to 40. They're up slightly today on people buying. Um, I don't know. The market is efficient, as I've said many times before. And despite politics and despite anything else, it is efficient and it continues to meet record highs. The market is also pricing in what's coming down the pike, especially with the Fed. So they're saying there's an 85% chance that there's going to be a federal rate cut in May. Now, it depends on who you're listening to. If you switch on over to the liberal channels, they'll tell you it's only 46%. So let's just lean on the conservatives and say it's 50% chance that there's going to be a Fed rate cut after, what, nine increases over the last 20 months? So they're trying to artificially manipulate the market, which only can be done in the short term. In the long term, the market is efficient, and it's going to run with earnings, and it's going to run with the American spirit and the entrepreneurial spirit of the corporations and everything that's the backbone of this this country. But we'll wait and see as we reach yet another all-time new high. So when we look at and shift gears to look at who is supporting different concepts out there, we find out that Mr. Morris is making the news again on the side of Hunter Biden. Mr. Morris has been called um, the sugar daddy of Hunter Biden. And why would you say he would be called that? Well, a couple of facts that have arose over the last 12 months of investigating Mr. Hunter Biden. One is that Mr. Morris has paid for Hunter's ex-wife. We find out that Mr. Morris is paying Hunter Biden's child support. We find out through checks that have been exchanged that he has paid his federal and state tax bill. We recently found out that he bought half of Hunter Biden's artwork, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thus going to the nickname of Sugar Daddy Morris for Mr. Biden's son, Hunter. This Biden issue and this migrant crisis continues. 
and make no bones about it. Mr. President Biden is going to own it. He owns it. So we find out what are they doing about the migrant crisis that they created? So the mayor, Mayor Adams, in the great state of New York, has spent $77 million, million dollars, to house migrants and has a contract with multiple hotels to house these migrants. On the New York City police side, the New York City Police Department has recently impounded 79 mopeds from a migrant camp. So they're housing the migrants in some of these fancy hotels, spending $77 million. They're taking some of whatever money they receive in buying mopeds, and then New York City cops are impounding the mopeds out of the migrant camps. We had a word for that in the Marines, which I can't say on the air, but it's, it's a cluster, and that was the prefix. So in the migrant camp, when they went in to repo the mopeds, they found a three-month-old infant dead in the migrant shelter. So obviously they don't let the cameras in the shelters to see what kind of conditions they are living under. And these are the group that haven't made it into the hotels yet, but there's clearly a problem inside the migrant camps. This is Conversations with Rod Ferguson and the Big 550 in KTRS. All right, Rod, how much you got left here? Uh, I can go. I can go. All right, let's go. All right, as we continue, we swing over to look at the United States of America's military readiness. And the number one problem with the U.S.'s current military readiness is inflation. I know you would say it was the current president and the current administration, and that is a major problem. But the number one infl- the number one problem that's affecting our military readiness is inflation. And we are telegraphing this to our enemies, which when I was in the Marine Corps and was in G2 intelligence, we did not do. Quite frankly, what the general public saw and what the UPI recorded and reported was about 5% of what was going on. My favorite movie part of that is Good Morning Vietnam, where the two redheaded stepchilds that would red ink everything that came across the ticker tape that they didn't think they should share, they would scratch out, leaving Robin Williams (laughs) not much to report on. And when he did report on the truth, they shut him down and kicked him out. So why are we telegraphing to the free world, including our enemies in Russia, China, Iran, that we are deficient in military readiness? And not only deficient, we're sharing with them where the deficiencies lie to our enemies. Is this policy that the current administration has handed down? What is this? What is this telegraphing our problem to the free world about? I mean, we know during the Obama administration, he took hat in hand and went on the Obama apologetic tour around the country, apologizing around the world for our democracy as the president of our democracy. But this telegraphing to our enemy about the deficiencies in our military uh, readiness is ridiculous. And it's going to get changed. It's just not going to get changed fast enough. When we look over at who's in charge of this, 
we look over at Mr. Austin, who still hasn't returned to work yet with his duties at the Pentagon. So the Pentagon is operating without a hit and has been. And when the reporters ask about this in their daily briefings, they don't get any answers. When is Mr. Austin going to return to work? Nobody knows. Is the number two stepped up and took his place? Nobody knows. How does that affect military readiness? I really don't know. So a lot of unanswered questions. What do you think about it? Text me on the line. Let me know what you're thinking about that. So the newest thing to come up lately, lately in the last 12 hours, is they have decided under the current administration they're going to bring back the wealth tax. Yes, the wealth tax discussion is back in full swing. And Chucky and Nancy and Billy have all decided they're going to get on that bandwagon and talk about the wealth tax again, which is a socialist idea. Ten states are considering enacting a legislation for the immediate addition of the wealth tax. And I know these will blow you away of who they are. It's being led by this great state of California, followed by Nevada and Washington and Minnesota. You could just pretty much follow the Democratic liberal states that are getting in lockstep with this wealth tax discussion. They already have the state tax. Now they want to add the capital gains on unrealized gains. So they're going to tax you before you even take the gain. A lot of those states already have a state, a state tax. So not only does the federal government get the second bite of the apple when you die and try to pass everything you've done for your life onto your family and your children and grandchildren, they've come up with a state, a state tax. So you got the federal estate tax, you got the state estate tax, you've got a capitalized gains coming on an unrealized basis, and it just so happens that the only states that are being discussed are the liberal democratic states, which also happen to be comprised of some of the common law states. I'll let that sink in for a minute. So when Trump gave his speech after he smoked the great state of New Hampshire, Guess what he focused on? The border. I wonder why. If the border's number one with Iowa caucus voters and the border is number one with New Hampshire, would you expect him to talk about anything else? The Democrats aren't talking about it. They're talking about a new wealth tax so that the wealthy can pay their fair share. We talked about that the other day. So Trump's focusing on the border. 70% of the exit polling that happened in New Hampshire said that was their number one issue. And they think Trump is the guy to fix it, whereas Never Nikki was at 28%. This is Conversations with Rod Ferguson on KTRS and the Big 550. The views and opinions expressed in the preceding paid program are those of the host, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this station, its management, or owners.